Well, it is a joy uh, to see you here this morning. It's good to have some folks uh, that aren't normally here with us. They're in town for Thanksgiving. Good to have Lexi in from college. And uh, she decided she wanted to hang out with her uh, dad up in the balcony today, be with family. And she's heading back this afternoon. And so good to have her here uh, this week. It's a blessing. Good to have some of the Brinsons, uh, Emily and her husband Dalton, and uh, kind of leftovers from they had their Thanksgiving stuff yesterday. So they're here this morning and be heading back up to Stillwater. And uh, it's just a joy to have uh, some folks here today that aren't normally here. Uh, but I know on the other side of that coin, there's some folks who are out with other family. And uh, so looking forward to them making their way back and being back in the Lord's house. And so pray for traveling mercies. We're entering into that season where a lot of miles get put on the road. And uh, just pray for grace as people travel from one place to the other. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes in chapter number 2. Ecclesiastes in chapter number 2. <clears throat> When you find your place there, if you're able to, let's stand together to uh, honor the Word of God as we read it. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. Now last week, uh, Solomon kind of took us on a, a turn of kind of a depressing subject matter. And so uh, I guess you could say that about almost everything Solomon deals with through the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of a... Uh, a downer a little bit where he says, this is vanity, it's worthless, it's empty. But just remembering that conclusion makes it say, this might be, but this isn't. Anyway. And uh, today we're going to talk about, um, really, I kind of maybe got these backwards. Um, the, the title of the message is The Vanity of Succession. And my wife said that was a boring title. <laughs> so my subtitle, it probably should be the better title, which is Solomon the Scrooge. And so uh, we'll look at that here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse number 18. It says, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken, here it is again, this key phrase of the book, under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion." This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, now this is a key phrase in verse 24, that it was from the hand of God. So here Solomon sees a glimpse of life lived for the Son of God, not lived life under the sun. And there's a dynamic there in verse 24. He's not saying eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
because he's saying there's an aspect God wants us to use the things he's given us for his glory and there's purpose under God in this earth. So verse 25 he says, For who can eat or who else can hasten hereto, uh, hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail uh, to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Like I said, I'd like to preach to you this morning on this, Solomon the Scrooge or the vanity of succession. May God bless you his word. You can be seated and thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures here this morning. On December the 19th, 1843, a book was published and released that is still very popular to this very day. The author was a, a burgeoning author that had already written some other works, and he was an acclaimed author named Charles Dickinson. Now, this book at the time was really directed at England and the commercialization of what should have been a more uh, festive-driven more heartfelt, family-driven, religious time of year, and instead became a time of uh, lacking compassion, self-consumed, self-indulgent time of year. So the message of the book still rings out today. It remains popular in print, on the stage, and I don't know how many iterations of this have been made in movie forms, but The Christmas Carol. I think most people are familiar uh, with the Christmas character, uh, Christmas Carol. Now, again, there's a lot of memorable characters. If you've watched any version, my children's favorite is the Muppets for some reason. They just think that's the best one that's out there. But uh, whatever iteration you've watched or read or seen on a play performed, you've probably seen to some degree. You know the characters, right? Uh, you know, you got Bob Crackett and you've got his family and you've got Tiny Tim and all these memorable characters and the spirits that come and see him. But come on, there is none more crucial character to the story or more memorable character than Ebenezer Scrooge. He just stands out. A stingy old man who has spent his entire life squabbling over pennies. I mean, just a crass, hard, rough old man. Now, the end of the story, of course, ends in very happiness with a new Scrooge who understands that life and Christmas are not about what you can hoard, but what you can give. Now, Solomon in our text here this morning, um, if we can say it this way, he's not visited by three spirits, uh, but he comes to much the same conclusion that Scrooge did, that hoarding under the sun, greediness under the sun, and building up a massive hordes of wealth is vanity, but there is an aspect of using wealth for the benefit of others and for the glory of God that is quite honorable in this life. And so he presents this aspect, if we call it this way, Solomon the Scrooge, who sees his great vast sums of wealth and says, this is vanity, but then he realizes there is good to be lived in this earth for the good of others and the glory of God. Now, there is, uh, just so we're kind of on the same page of where this text goes and what he deals with here. Uh, with your possessions, now, but especially as you get older, you kind of have one of two options with them. 
the monetary things that you own, whether that's money or whether that's a house, whether it's a car, whether it's possessions. There's really one of two things that you can do with those possessions as you get older, uh, particularly. Option number one, inheritance. Leave it for somebody else, right? Now, the Bible speaks fairly favorably of that, doesn't it? That there ought to be stores laid up for generations. And, and there's nothing wrong with leaving an inheritance and leaving something for the next generation. The Bible speaks favorably of that in most opportunities. Now, the reason it's not spoken of favorably here in this text is because it's talking about greedy hoarding because it's under the sun. So we need to make that distinction there. There's a big difference between laying up an inheritance and greedily being a Scrooge. Okay? So one opportunity is inheritance, setting aside money for the next generation. Option number two, investment. I'm not talking about investment in the stock market. I'm talking about an investment of much greater dividends. You can either lay up your money to give to the next generation, or you can spend your money to influence the next generation for the cause of Christ. Yeah, there's, there's those two options, especially as you begin to age. You have the opportunity to use your possessions for the glory of God to influence others, or you can set it aside as an inheritance. And again, both are good and are spoken favorably in the Bible. But Solomon in our text sees much greater value in one and diminishes the value of the other because he looks at it as one under the sun becomes greedy hoarding and those that become a Scrooge. So let's look here this morning at Solomon the Scrooge or the vanity, the emptiness of succession or leaving to the next generation. So just a, a quick recap of the book. We're not going to really labor on this. Solomon, of course, is taking a journey. He says, I'm going to leave life, live for God, and I'm going to take a journey uh, living in this world for this world. Or the phrase that's used in the book, life under the sun. And remember that phrase literally means life lived in this world for this world. And he comes to this conclusion. He gives us his thesis right at the very beginning when he says this, that it is vanity. Life under the sun is empty. There's no value. Now here's the danger. Vanity, it promises substance, but delivers none of it. So like the kid trying to collect the bubbles and he's left with a bucket of slime, right? It promises substance and good, but there's nothing there. So he says it's vanity, but it's not only vanity, it is vanity of vanities or the highest order of vanity. All is vanity. Then he tells us again later in chapter 1 that it's also vexation of spirit, which is the desire to always feel like you're, you're one step away. You're just almost there, but not quite. It's the carrot in front of the donkey. He just keeps walking, but he never gets the carrot. And that's what it feels like. If I could just get a little bit more money, if I could just have that one bit of happiness, if I could just get that one more promotion at job, my job, I would be content. Life would be great. And that's called vexation because every time you take another step, it's the carrot's still that far away. It never fulfills. It never gets us where we need to be. Now, Solomon has already taken us on a, a journey, if you will, where he's going on stops. Stops here. Let's try this. Nope. There's no fulfillment there. It's all vanity. Well, let's try this. Nope. There's no fulfillment there. It's all vanity. The first stop he did was rules without relationship. 
wisdom apart from God. He said this, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. It is a miserable life to follow the rules of the Bible without having an intimate relationship with the God of the Bible. A huge, huge difference is vanity. The second thing is he tried pleasure. Alcohol, accomplishments, possessions, all of those things. He said, I'm going to find fulfillment in, in drinking. I'm going to find fulfillment in building stuff and, and doing work with my hands. I'm going to try it in possessions. I'm going to buy cool things and awesome toys. And I'm going to blow all my money on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And I'm going to get it all. And it's going to be awesome. Sorry, was that a little too close to us? Okay. Anyways. And, and I'm going to get all this stuff, and it's going to be awesome. And he said it, it never satisfied. None of the possessions brought fulfillment. And then the third thing that we looked at even last week, which is kind of a, a downer message, which is this. We call it the suicidal preacher, where he got to the point where he despaired even of life. And he said, life is not worth living. Life feels vain. Life feels empty and meaningless and without purpose. You ever get to that point? I feel like I'm living to work working to eat and eating to live and it just feels worthless and there's no purpose or meaning life under the sun can get that feeling rather quickly so solomon's taken us already on quite the journey hasn't he just just in the first two chapters he's taken us on quite a journey now journey under the sun with solomon here this time he's going to talk about not only the possessions that he had which he already told us possessions couldn't bring fulfillment but now he's going to talk about taking those possessions and leaving them to the next generation and the vanity that can be there. Now, Solomon despairs of his labor. We read about that even in verse number 18. He says that he hated all the labor that he was doing. Now, we already know Solomon uh, from a couple weeks ago. We were talking about all the wealth and stuff that Solomon had. There's a lot of it. I mean, the daily provisions for his servants was astronomical. We're talking about like, pallets and pallets of flour and hundreds of animals being killed and he's got thousands of servants and he, anything he wanted he got it he had everything so you talk about a guy who had possessions and understood this idea of leaving an inheritance to another generation and those all the work that he had done in taking a kingdom from the the warfare that david his father had been involved in to the peacetime prosperity that it was under solomon when he looked at all of his labor, he goes, I hate it. <laughs> well, where does that come from? Why, why do you get to this point where he looked at all the blood, sweat, tears, effort that went into building all that he had built through his lifetime? Where did that come from? Well, here's where it ultimately ended. Solomon realized in the end, everything goes to somebody else. Now, here's where he really struggled. <clears throat> his, um, his baby boy, Rehoboam, which we all know is kind of a, dummy i don't know a better way to say that the whole divided kingdom really kind of rested on rehoboam's shoulders and Amen. the dumb things that he did and how he dealt with the jeroboam and all that but solomon recognized hey if i leave everything to rehoboam my son i also recognize this <clears throat> although i can control the first transaction i can't control what happens after that so whatever Rehoboam does with the money or whatever I feel about Rehoboam and how I give him my mansions and my, and my wealth and my kingdom and my name and, and all that I have, eventually Rehoboam's going to do good or bad with it and he's going to decide where he gives it. And then that person's going to decide where they give it. 
And Solomon recognized this. Eventually, somewhere down the line, no one's going to be able to say, look at Solomon's wealth. Which is the case today, isn't it? That there's nowhere you can go and you can go, oh, look, there's Solomon's palace. Oh, look, there's Solomon's treasure trove. Right? It's, it, it doesn't exist anymore. It, it's been broken up and spent and divided, and now it's just all over the place. And Solomon recognized this reality that every one of us have limited control over this world's goods. We have very limited control over it. So even in this life, even if we apply wisdom to the possessions that we own and we manage them well, we still have limited control over it. So, but how much less when we leave this earth and everything we have then gets passed down in an inheritance? Now, unfortunately, Solomon recognized this. Sometimes that which is gained by wisdom goes to somebody who doesn't know how to use it wisely. You ever seen that happen before? That's quite a tragedy. Money that was intended to be left as inheritance as a blessing to a family rips families apart. Because somebody who worked and labored and sacrificed to build this wealth to pass on to the next generation, that generation didn't know how to respond wisely to it and it tore them all to pieces. Yep. You ever heard about people who get uh, win the lottery and they just, man, they're all rich. They've got an endless supply of money. I forgot what the percentage is, but how many of them wind up in poverty a few years later because they feel like they've gotten wealth gained by vanity, right? Wealth gained without wisdom. And so Solomon recognized this. I might have gained this by wisdom, but it doesn't mean Rehoboam or who Rehoboam gives it to that they're going to be a wise person. And so they're not going to manage it. And so he begins to despair of his great wealth. What's the point of having all this stuff? He's like, if I have all this and I have it under the sun. Now, don't, don't miss this. Maybe to clarify this even more. The Bible is very clear. There's nothing wrong with laying up an inheritance. There's nothing wrong with giving to the next generation. It, it can be a tremendous blessing and a tremendous uh, wonderful thing for those who are beneficiaries of that. It, it could be a great thing for them. It could be a tremendous blessing. And the Bible says it's a wise thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that. What we're talking about now, and maybe to give more clarity to this, is Solomon started to recognize when the attitude of Scrooge seeps in, it's vanity. When the attitude becomes, I'm going to pinch every penny and make it scream, and then I'm going to be greedy with it and heap it up and hoard it like a dragon over his treasure, and I'm not going to be generous with any of it, but I'm going to hoard it all to myself so that I can have it. He said, eventually, I worked all this time and did all this effort and, and, and begrudged everyone of being a blessing with my possessions. And now it's going to somebody else who's going to act a fool with it. That's where he started feeling like, what's the point of all this? You can see the disparity that was there. That he was thinking about all the investment of time and energy under the sun... Life lived in this world for this world to try to heap up all this great wealth and all these great possessions only to realize that it's going to be squandered away and wasted uh, by somebody who doesn't know how to manage or appreciate it. Now, in verses 20 through 23, due to the vanity of his labor, wealth, and possessions, Solomon begins to despair of his labor, wealth, and possessions. Because those things are empty, why am I doing them? That's where he begins to despair. 
Verses 21 through 22, he talks about a man can work in wisdom and lose it at his passing. Verse 23, a man can work hard with tiresome labor and lose it when he dies. In the end, the person who receives their hard work did nothing for it and will likely have no appreciation for it. And Solomon recognized and realized all of these things. So in verses 24 through 26, again, this is not Solomon saying, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Okay, that is not what verse 24 teaches in any way, although it might sound that way in initial reading. Because we cannot decide who receives our wealth at our passing, Solomon realizes this. It would be better to use it in this lifetime for the glory of God as an investment more than as leaving it up as an inheritance that was heaped up greedily. So in verse number 24 there, as he talks about this eat and drink, and that we should enjoy the good of our labor. Notice what he says at the very end of verse number 24. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. What does that have to do with? Well, he simply said this. God gave you what he gave you to be a blessing to you and your family and to those God has put in your path. So we say it this way. God has enabled you to work and to earn and to get all the possessions and blessings you have, not for you to greedily hoard, but for you to be a blessing to all those that are around you so that you may do good to others and bring glory to God. Different perspective on this idea of money. Again, there was nothing wrong with laying up an inheritance, but it was the greedy hoarding and heaping that Solomon speaks of here. Solomon shows us in this verse, verse 24, that our possessions and our work are supposed to be enjoyed and they're supposed to be used for the glory of God. So in verses 25 and 26, the sinner is given the task of heaping. He actually even kind of uses that language there where he says there in verse number 26, For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but unto the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up. So we understand there's this dynamic between these two. So here it is. There's one of two people that are presented here in this text. The first one is seen as this. The sinful hoarder. The Scrooge. The one, again, not trying to preach Charles Dickens here this morning, but if you've ever seen the show, it'll help you understand what Solomon's talking about here. To understand the person who shows up and they go, could you give to these people that are in need? There's poor houses, aren't there? Okay, the attitude that's there. Can we put a coal on the fire? We're all freezing to death here. Are you going to be paying for that? And his whole attitude was that of anger and resentment because he had his wealth and even himself could not enjoy it because he was so greedy towards it. Now, that versus Solomon's attitude that's presented in this text, which is that of a sacrificial, joyful giver. Somebody who learns the benefit of this, it's more joyful, it's more pleasant, it's more enjoyable to give than it is to receive. And they start to recognize, well, God has blessed me with these items and God has blessed me with this possession to use for his glory. So maybe just run down through this. The sinful hoarder, the Scrooge might say this, well, I've got this house and this house is mine and it belongs to me and I'm, I'm going to take care of it so that I can lay it up for many years for all these generations and That's their mindset on it. 
But then a mindset over here might be, man, God blessed us with this house. We want to use it to be charitable to other people. Let's have people over and be a blessing to them. Let's have meals here and let's bless our family and have them over here and be Thanksgiving time, right? We want to host it. The kid puts a hole in the wall. Well, drywall can be patched, amen? It changes your perspective on things, doesn't it? God gave me this possession, not so it's mine to hoard, but so that it's mine to give. God blessed me with this wonderful vehicle here so I can use it for my selfish purposes. And it's all about me and it's my vehicle. And, and they say this, man, God bless you with this vehicle. I wonder if I could go pick up somebody to bring them to church with me. God bless me with this vehicle so I could be a help to somebody. Somebody's moving. Somebody told me when I got the truck, I went and bought a ball hitch for it. And they said, you messed up, preacher. You put that ball on there. Now everyone's going to want you to help them move. And honestly, here's what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. It's like, well, praise the Lord. The Lord kind of provided and blessed with that in, in a miraculous way through His church. I'll say this, I want to use it for His glory. Amen. Now listen, you could go down the list of item after item after item, and you're going to start to see a distinct difference between those who greedily hoard and heap up wealth, and they have this selfish mentality about it, and then those that understand, hey, God has blessed me with this. It ultimately doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord, and so I want to use it for His glory and for the good of others. There's a huge and vast difference between those two viewpoints of this. So we can start to kind of flesh this out, you might say. The sinful hoarder, this is the person who views everything as theirs. They have no intention of sharing or, more importantly, of giving. This person has no idea of the idea of tithing. They're just not involved in tithing. They also don't give above the tithe to be a blessing or to give to others to be a blessing. When they give, they do so grudgingly or of necessity. They really wanted to do something else, but they'll do it, but their hand's been forced in order to do that. The hoarder is consumed with heaping, the Bible would tell us here. They're obsessively concerned with future finances, even beyond their own life. And enough is never enough. There always has to be more. In the Christian, the hoarder starts to look like this. Job is number one. My place of possession and the money that I earn from that is the most important thing in my life. Now, again, I think you ought to work. I think the Bible is pretty clear about that. Amen. But here's the thing. I, you can see a clear distinction in somebody's life when their life ceases to be first about the Lord, next about their spouse and their family, and then about their job, and they get that all out of order, and job begins to come first, and then their family, and then the Lord's way down there, maybe not even third place. Priorities begin to get shuffled and shifted, and they're not what they ought to be. And you know what you start to see? Joy starting to get ebbed out of that person's life. Because you can't serve God and mammon. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll despise one and hold to the other. You can't do it. And so it's either this. It's either our priority is the Lord first or our priority becomes money and job first. You can't have it both ways. They love possessions and they're willing to work hard to achieve the status quo. I'm going to do everything I can and I'm going to even neglect my family so I can have tons of money so I can get all the stuff I never had when I was a kid be an attitude of a hoarder as they start to think that way. They easily begin to miss church to make more money and always come up with an excuse why it is tolerable and okay with the Lord for them to do so. The hoarder is constantly talking about the future and their desire to be well-to-do. 
They may be overly obsessed with retirement and future wealth. The biggest key to a hoarder is this. They have no heart to give. They have no heart to invest. They have no understanding of being a cheerful, sacrificial giver. And they understand little of what that joy is all about. So what does a sacrificial, joyful giver look like? Well, the sacrificial, joyful giver has a view of work that is weird to the world. Actually, it's weird to a lot of Christians. The way they view their job is this. God gave me this job to be a blessing to other people. God, God blessed me with this so I can be a blessing to others. I'm telling you, it'll revolutionize your whole way of thinking about the job that you have if you start viewing that job instead of a meal ticket, punch ticket to get the bigger, better thing that you've always wanted and you start to view it as this. God's given me this so that I can be a blessing first to my family and then to my church and then to all people that God can put in my pathway that I can be an encouragement and a blessing to. It'll revolutionize your whole way of thinking about how God gave you that job and what it can be used for. The giver views work as a means, not an end. Their job is not the totality of their identity. It's only a piece of it. They don't love money, but rather they see it as a tool to provide for their family and the work of the gospel. The giver gives liberally above their tithe and enjoys doing it. The giver can appear as a hoarder at times because they're tight with their money, but they do that not because they're trying to hoard wealth, but so that they can use it more intelligently and wisely for the glory of God. It's really their heart. In the Christian, the giver begins to look like this. They put the Lord first, not their money. They enjoy their job because their purpose is not having, it's giving and serving the Lord. They trust the Lord to provide and they use their money very wisely. So see, here's the ultimate aspect of what Solomon's getting to here. He tried this, vanity. He tried this, vanity. He tried this, vanity. And now he comes to this place where he starts to look at all the wealth that he accumulated, all the pile of stuff and all the money that he had. And he began to look at it and he said this, I hate this stuff. Did you know why he started hating it? He says, what's the point of it all? When I die, this is an old man speaking here, near the end of his life, and he's saying, when I die, it's going to go to them, and then it's going to go to them, and eventually it's going to have no value or worth. So what does he say in verse number 24? Well, this is from the hand of God. Eat, drink, enjoy the goodness of God. Use what God has given you with great wisdom and intelligence for the good of others and the glory of God. Now listen, I'm not a financial advisor. I don't even pretend to be that. I know we've been doing some stuff on Sunday night with finances here lately. But I do understand this. God wants us to have the right kind of perspective about this. An eternal perspective about it. And if your life has all become about possessions and things, and that's the most important thing, I dare to say I think you might come to the end of your life and have this existential crisis that Solomon the Scrooge has here in this text where he goes, I hate this. I invested my whole life in this hoard, scrooging everyone and being a jerk to them. And now it's just going to be left to somebody who has no appreciation or value to me. So Solomon, I think, came to this understanding and realization. I'm going to take what God has given me. And I'm going to start to use it with wisdom to be a blessing and an encouragement to other people and for the kingdom of God. Amen. And then Solomon, when he did that, he found purpose in that. Well, what is that? Fear God. Keep His commandments. Use it with this eternal perspective. Let God get the glory through what He has given to me. I hope that's your attitude this morning. Let God get the glory through what He's given me. If it's not, maybe you need to spend some time at the altar. Say, God, 
I've gotten a little too greedy, greedy, greedy about more, more, more. And I'm not having the attitude that I need to about this, about blessing and encouraging and investing in others. Well, let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning.